morning. It's good to be back with you today. Fun to see JoJo singing up here. Fun to see the rest of y'all too, but you know, <laughs> not quite as cute as him, I guess. But the uh, this is I know that this uh, time of year, these last few days before Christmas, can be a really crazy busy time. Whether it's you know get, running out to get last minute gifts. Which, if you have to do that, I feel sorry for you because the lines at the mall, like yesterday we were driving down the highway, and it's just backed up for miles trying to get to North Park. But, uh, you know, whether it's, it's doing last-minute shopping or trying to cook food and prepare for meals that are coming up or, you know, making last-minute Christmas parties this weekend, this uh, end of the, you know, leading up right before Christmas Day can be a really busy and chaotic time. We can get caught up in a lot of stuff. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would just be able to kind of slow down a little bit and listen to what God has to say for us, because I really believe that he has something special for us in his word every time that we meet, including today. But I don't want to be so busy up here that our minds and our hearts aren't really receptive to what he has for us. And so I just want to, to uh, just invite you just to kind of be still and to, and to slow down with me as we listen to God's word this morning. And as, as we mentioned earlier, we do have a Christmas Eve service on Tuesday at six o'clock. If you're in town, we would love to see you here. It's going to be a great time. I know that the folks who have been planning it have really been putting in a lot of, a lot of uh, thought and energy into this, and it's going to be a really neat neat, neat time, so make plans to be here on Tuesday with us. A few years ago, I had a a really neat privilege to go to one of the best concerts that I've ever been to in my life. Um, I had an opportunity and and got to go see U2 on their 360 tour over at Cowboy Stadium, and it was a really amazing concert. My friends and I showed up about four hours early because we had general admission tickets, and basically it was the people who got there first and got inside first got to get as close to the stage as possible. And so we got there really, really early because we wanted to be close to the action. And so we, we made our way inside, and I ended up making it about probably about 100 feet from the stage. So I was probably, I don't know, from here to the back wall from, from, from the band. And so after the opening bands, uh, did their thing. I think Muse opened up and somebody else. And then out walked Bono and The Edge, Adam Clayton, Larry Mullen Jr. And the place just erupts. I, I mean, U2 is like this larger-than-life band. I mean, when, And when you see them live, you really experience that. Like, I had been a fan for a long time, but I'd never been to one of their concerts, and it was just electric. That's the only word I could really use to describe it. And for the next couple of hours, the stadium just went crazy. People were singing along to their favorite songs, stuff like Where the Streets Have No Name, One, With or Without You, Mysterious Ways. I mean, I could list probably 15 more songs, and you'd, if, if you're, you know, have ever turned on a radio, you've heard them. But people sang, they danced, they clapped, they raised their hands, they applauded in excitement, and really, I would even use the word adoration, of you too. And I share that because I believe that what I experienced there um, captures a truth 
that I've come to know, and that is this, that we are all wired to worship. In us is this innate just drive to worship. And we may worship different things, but we are all worshipers. When we find something beautiful, when we find something great, we can't help but glorify it. And it may be a concert, it may be a sports team, it may be, I don't know, some sort of dance uh, presentation, a play, whatever. When we come in, in contact with something that we think is beautiful, that we think is great, we want to worship, and we do. Well, today we're going to read about what I would say is one of the greatest concerts of all time. A large multitude received a message about the greatness of Jesus, and it elicited praise from them. But the question is, what did they see in Jesus that caused them to praise? What did they understand about him that caused them to worship? And that's, that's where we're, the direction we're headed. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to really wrestle with two questions today. Who is Jesus and what is the right response to him? Who is Jesus and what is the right response to him? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 2. If you need one, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you, the blue book. And uh, I want to pray together before we read this text and ask the Lord to really be with us and to, to lead our time together. So let's pray. Father, we have so many things that vie for our attention and, and vie for um, our affection even. And at this time of year, we, we have so much going on. And as I said before, Lord, I, I just, I really believe that you have something for us today. I pray that you would help us to focus our minds on what you have for us in your word and that our hearts would be receptive to that, that you would give us the ability to really hear you today. And I mean that in a sense that we're, we're ready to not just receive what you have for us, but also to respond to that in faith, in action. And so we ask that you would be with us during this time, that your presence would fill this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we read this out of reverence for the word. In Luke 2, it says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who, with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right, you can take a seat. So in, in Micah 5, verse 2, the, the, the reading that, our Old Testament reading for today, it says this, it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth, from, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So in this passage, God had promised through Micah that the ruler of Israel would be born in Bethlehem. And in verses 1 through 7 that we just read, we see that God took these, these circumstances that seemed like ordinary earthly things, just something kind of coincidental with this census, he used what, what these, these pagan rulers had decreed to fulfill this ancient prophecy, to fulfill that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, even though his parents were from Nazareth. So Joseph travels back to his hometown, the city of David. He takes Mary, his fiancée, with him, and they get there, and she gives birth to Jesus. But as I mentioned earlier, who is this Jesus? Because it's really, really important. And verses 10 and 11 really help us understand that. They say, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the angel explains that this message is good news of great joy. And the good news is this. It's that the Savior is born. Jesus himself is the good news. But why is he good news? Because of who he is. And that's what this verse unpacks for us. It teaches us who Jesus is. First of all, it says that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. So if you have a bulletin and you want to follow along on the back with the outline, that's the first point, is that Jesus is Savior. And we may be familiar with that term, but what does that mean? In light of the Old Testament, when, when the term Savior was used, it was usually used of God as deliverer, as the rescuer of people from enemies and from danger. And so Jesus being Savior is our rescuer. He's sent from God to rescue us from sin and from death. Because of sin, we are under Satan's power and destined to die. But Jesus comes as our Savior, sent from God to earth on a rescue mission to deliver us from that sin and from that death. And this makes 
a world of difference for us because we are all sinners separated from God. And without Jesus, we would remain dead in those sins. But God sent Jesus. He sent him as our Savior to die so that we would not have to die. He is our rescuer. He is our Savior. The second reason Jesus is good news is that Jesus is Messiah. It says Jesus is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Now the term Messiah isn't there, but, the, but it is in a different word. Christ and Messiah are the, really two words that are interchangeable for one another. Christ is the Greek word that corresponds to Messiah. And Christ isn't Jesus' last name. People who aren't familiar with him sometimes think that's his last name. It's not his last name. It is his title. It is who he is. In the Old Testament, God had promised to send to his people a very special anointed one. And this special anointed one would be their deliverer. Not just an anointed one, but the anointed one. The one who is anointed above all others. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13, it says this, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, the Jews had been waiting for this promised Messiah for many, 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 many years. And then, all of a sudden, this angel comes to these shepherds on this obscure night and delivers great news that the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. And Jesus, being Messiah, comes to receive and to establish this eternal kingdom that God has been preparing for him. This kingdom that he has been preparing for his nation. And this matters for you and I because as Savior, Jesus comes to rescue us from sin and death, to free us from our past. But as Messiah, he comes to give us a future, a future that is eternal, that does not end. And that's a future where we get to enjoy God's presence for all eternity. So he doesn't just come to change what, is, what has been, but he comes to change forever what will be as Messiah. Jesus is good news because Jesus is Messiah. And the third reason Jesus is good news, according to this text, is because Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And the term in the Greek is kurios, and it means Lord or Master. And in the Old Testament, the term that was used that would be um, akin to that would be Adonai, and is primarily used of God as sovereign deity. And so, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord Really, this is, this is the term that helps us understand that Jesus is God. He is not just the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And he is not just a human baby being born to Mary and Joseph. He is a human baby, but he is also God taking the form of a baby. And so Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's 100% God and 100% man. He is deity that has taken on humanity. The eternal Son of God who has existed forever in the birth to the Virgin Mary and Joseph wraps himself in humanity, coming to us, becoming man. 
And this is important for us to understand because it explains for us how Jesus can be our Savior, how he can die on the cross in our place, because he needed to be a human to identify with us, but in order to be perfect, to be sinless, to be righteous, to pay the price for our sin eternally, he had to be sinless. And he could only be sinless if he was God. And so God takes on flesh and comes and lives the life we cannot live, a life of perfection, dies the death that we deserve, and rises again so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have life eternal. He comes to redeem and reconcile us back to God himself. Jesus is good news because Jesus is Lord. So Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Messiah, and Jesus is Lord. That answers our first question of who is Jesus. But the second question we still have to answer is what is the right response to Jesus? As Savior, as Messiah and Lord, how should we respond to him? Because if he is truly those things, it changes everything. It changes everything. But the text gives us four responses in the actions and the response of those in the story. As we look at what they did to this announcement and to his birth, we have insight into what the proper response for us is. If you look at verses uh, 13 and 14 with me, you'll see that the first proper response is to praise God or praising God. Praising God is the first proper response. It says this in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel, this is after he's, the, the first angel has given the announcement to the shepherds, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this army of angels shows up, and they've been listening in on the conversation that the first angel has with the shepherds, and they come and burst into this song of praise. They were praising God for the birth of Jesus because they understood that this was an enormous event in God's rescue mission for humanity. They understood that this had implications for eternity. And even though they weren't sinners themselves in need of salvation, they recognized that what God was doing was, was altering the course of history. The birth of Jesus is worthy of praise because, first of all, who Jesus is, but secondly, what he came to do. He came to make a way for us to bridge the gap, the, the chasm that exists between humanity and God because of our sin. Jesus came to us to make a way when we could not make our own. He came to be for us what we could not be. Every other world religion, every other f system of faith can all be, be lumped together in, in, this, in, in the same category, at least on one, one, in one aspect. Every other religion outside of Christianity, every other system of faith is humans working their way to God. Doing what they can, trying to be good enough, trying to work hard enough, to cross that gap, 
to bridge that chasm between them and God. But the reality is, is, as broken sinners, we cannot do that. We cannot get there. And in Jesus, God, knowing that, comes to us. And the angels understood that, and so they praised God for that. So the first response that's appropriate to Jesus is praising God. And the second right response we see in the text is trusting God. The second right right response to Jesus is trusting God. If you look at verses 15 and 16, it says this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the shepherds actually believed what had been told them. The message that they received, they actually believed, and they chose to do something about it. They trusted what God had said through the angel, and so they left immediately to find Jesus. Like Mary did whenever the angel Gabriel came to her, they responded in faith. Notice the chain of events. I want to point something out. In verses 10 through 14, the shepherds hear the angel's announcement and they hear the army of angels praising God. So they receive this truth about Jesus, okay? That's the first thing. They hear it. And then in verse 15, they believe and actually do something about it. So they respond in faith. And in verse 16, they find Jesus. And in verse 20, it says that they returned back to where they were from, praising God. So God spoke. They believed the message. They saw Jesus, and they praised God. I think the order of that is important for us to grab a hold of, and here's why. A lot of people feel like they have never experienced God. They feel like they have never really come to a place where God has personally interacted with them. They feel like they're kind of on the outside just wondering, why am I not? Why, why? You know, they can hear somebody else talk about their experience with God. They can hear somebody else talk about their encounter with Christ, and they kind of wonder, why hasn't that been true for me? Here's, here's the, the point I want to make. To receive the blessings that God has given to you in Jesus, to encounter God, you have to first believe and trust what he's communicated to you. You have to, you have to take him at his word. Jesus is seen and experienced as the beautiful Savior, Lord, and Messiah that he is when we take what God has said about him to be true. You can't experience that if you don't believe. Belief comes first. And so the, the, the application of that is this. If you're struggling and you find yourself in a place where you're, you're struggling to believe, ask God to give you the faith to trust him. Ask God to give you that very faith that you long for. He loves to, he delights in giving that to people. If you want to experience Christ, ask God for the faith to believe what he's communicated to you. So trusting God is the second right response to Jesus. And number three on the, on the, the, the third thing we see here is treasuring Jesus. 
That's the third right response, treasuring Jesus. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So all of the people there wondered at what they saw, what they heard, but Mary treasured these things. While everyone was amazed, this news, it resonated deeper inside of Mary. They were all kind of shocked and astonished at, at, at the whole scene, but Mary connected the dots and realized that this baby, this boy that God had given to her was the Savior, the hero, the rescuer, the deliverer, the one that they had been waiting for. In her heart, in this moment, it's like this collision of all this truth is connecting with what God is doing, and it's all happening right in her presence, and she's just like got goosebumps all over her because it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is too good to be true, but it's not because she's seeing it. She understood that in this baby boy, in Jesus, God had finally fulfilled his promise of sending the Messiah, that he was being true to his word from long ago. And here's, here's the deal. The difference between Mary and the rest of these folks is that while they were amazed at the angel's appearance and the message, Mary understood like the angels, that this changed everything. This changed everything. And so the crowd saw the splendor of the show, but Mary understood the significance of the Savior. Her her ability to appreciate what was going on was much deeper and much greater because she wasn't just wowed with, with the appearance. She had this heartfelt response to what God was doing. So the right response to Jesus is not just being amazed at what he can do and, and, and the, the news about him, but actually treasuring him above all else, treasuring him for who he is. So that's the third right response. And then there's one more. The fourth right response to Jesus is telling others about him telling others about Jesus. And in verses 17 and 20, you'll see something. The shepherds were, the, were kind of, in a sense, the first people to receive the, the gospel in, in, in this time period, like surrounding his birth. And they were also the first ones to go and share this good news. It says in verse 17, and when they saw it, they had made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they show up, they see Jesus. There he is, he's in the manger. He's wrapped in swaddling cloth, just like the angel had said. And then they tell everybody, hey, we just heard about this and now we're seeing it. And then in verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So these shepherds didn't just take in this moment or this news, and then just go about their business. They went and they told everyone what they had heard. In verse 20, they returned home. They're glorifying and praising God. And it doesn't specifically say that they were out evangelizing or sharing the gospel. 
but I have to believe that these shepherds who are just kind of obscure dudes who saw all of this couldn't help but tell people what had happened. They had been changed by this encounter. This was the greatest thing that had ever happened to them, and they could not keep it in. And I think really this, this point, this response to Jesus, telling others about him, is one that I really believe God is calling us to as, as a church, as people today. Because sadly, people in our culture today, I believe, have no idea who Jesus really is and what Christianity is really all about. People who are looking at the modern uh, you know, state of the church sadly think Christianity is about a bunch of rules, about doing this and not doing that. Others think that it's about a, a particular p political view. And the others, I think this is the saddest one, they think Christianity is all about hating or judging certain people and certain things. But Christianity is all about Christ. It's all about our Savior. The message that we have is not any of those things that I just talked about. It's about God sending a Savior to this world to rescue us when we could not make a way for ourselves. He made a way. He has come down to us to live the life we cannot live, die the death we deserve, and rise again so that we could be forgiven and live forever. And we have a privilege, we have a calling to share that news with people. doesn't mean God is calling you to, this afternoon, go and be a street evangelist. That may, if he is, that's great. doesn't have to take that, that form. But God has put each and every one of us in relationship with people on our streets, in our workplaces, in our schools, who, while we may think they know the gospel, there are many of them that have no clue what it is. They have no clue that the message of the Bible is that God has made a way, he has sent a savior, and his name is Jesus. They don't know that. It is our opportunity to tell them. But here's the bottom line as we, as we wrap up today, as we look at all of this. As Savior, as Messiah, and as Lord, Jesus changes everything. And he is worthy of everything that we are and everything that we have. He is worthy of every breath that fills your lungs. He is worthy of every beat of your heart. He is worthy of all of your time, all of your energy, all of your money, all of your resources. There is nothing that he is not worthy of. And so this Christmas, I want to challenge you to worship him with all that you are. To respond to him in these ways, but even more, with everything that you have. Jesus is God's greatest gift to you. And your greatest gift to God would be to respond to Jesus with everything that you are. To no longer hold back parts of yourself or hold back parts of what you have, but to say, everything I am and everything I have is yours. You've given your son for me. You've made a way for me. You have secured for me a future with you. Why would I not give you back everything you've given me? Because everything we have comes from him in the first place. 
So today, will you decide to worship Jesus with all you are? Will you decide to worship him with everything that you are? Let's pray.